Welcome to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our everyday daily lives as Catholic women. My name is Chloe Linger, and today we're having a conversation about healing, shame, the 12-step program, and making your home into a place of healing. In today's episode, I had the absolute joy and honor to sit down with Paige Ryan, and we're talking about how she first encountered God through her journey to recovery in the 12-step program, and how her story of conversion and her story of healing and recovery parallel incredibly. The universal need to address our vices and recognize that we are in need of help and a savior is a perfect topic to dive in together during Holy Week. And I cannot wait to share this episode with you. If you're battling an addiction and desiring healing, or just wanting to dive into the topic of healing in a deep and profound way, sister, this letter's for you. Paige and I also discussed the work that she did on HGTV, and she mentions that we might be used to seeing home decor that expresses our Catholic faith as a little outdated, maybe something you put in the back of the closet. I am so excited to share the sponsor of today's episode, House of Joppa. Matthew and Tabitha, the founders of House of Joppa, do an amazing job at creating home decor that approaches the idea of the domestic church in a fresh and modern way. Their home decor pieces are not ones that you put in a dresser drawer and glance at every once in a while. They're pieces that you're going to want to display all throughout your home. Letters to Women listeners get 15% off their order at checkout with the code LETTERS15. That's one word, all caps, LETTERS15. Check out the link to House of Joppa in the show notes or visit their website, houseofjoppa.com. Now, let's dive into this conversation with Paige. Today, I'm welcoming Paige Ryan to the podcast. Paige is an author, designer, and mom. She used to work on HGTV, and she wrote the book, Love the House You're In. She is passionate about all things home and personal growth. Paige, welcome to Letters to Women. It is such an honor to sit down and talk with you today. Oh, I am honored, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So we're going to be having a conversation about your journey of healing, your experience with 12-step programs, and how we can overcome lies of shame in our own life. But Paige, can you start us off by telling me your story as a Catholic woman? Yes, which is a great place to start because I used to be ashamed of it. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I... And I, I, I joke around a little bit, but I'm a convert. And for a long time, I have to say, even as I converted, I was almost embarrassed to say where I started with the church, which is that I didn't like it very much, didn't understand it, had a very narrow view of it, felt very much outside of something very special that I wasn't invited to. Um, so anyway, I had some monkeys on my back and some and, and some, some um, baggage there. But yes, I converted. I came to the church three years ago. God is very patient with me. Uh, it took decades. Um, but um but thanks be to God, I'm here. So I know that part of your story in, in terms of your conversion and finding the Lord and finding the church is through the 12-step program, which I'd love to dive in deeper with you today. But for listeners who maybe they're familiar with the idea of, of 12 steps, but they may not know what the actual 12 steps are, could you give me a little bit about the structure of anonymous recovery programs look like and then what the 12 steps are? Absolutely. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, folks that don't really understand what these programs are, how they started or where they came from. I'm pretty, I feel pretty strongly that they're divinely inspired because I think that um, my opinion is that God comes to heal the brokenhearted and the, the truly broken. And in these programs, he's able to reach a really broad swath of, of humanity and, and reach them with, with asking nothing, only that they be willing to heal. Um, and so in the 1930s, um, the, some folks started a program for alcoholics called Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a really small program. It, I think it was born in a hospital. You know, a man named Bill, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, you know, created this tiny little program out of nowhere in Akron, Ohio. 
and it bloomed and grew into this incredible thing. And the 12 step programs are, it's a fellowship of individuals. It's free. There's no, um, there's no leaders. You, you give a donation maybe to, to pay for the rent of the room. A lot of the groups meet in the basements of churches or synagogues or office buildings. Um, uh, they meet all, now they meet in Zoom. You know, now there's all, it's all done online due to the timing we're in right now. But the foundation of this program is fellowship. And so it, it's a spiritual fellowship. It is remarkably Christian in its foundation. Um, we use the word God throughout the steps, which I can go through, but it, it also asks really nothing of uh, the people that walk in the door. And then the people that walk in the door for the first time that are struggling with addictions to alcohol, pornography, drugs, um, food, uh, hurting themselves, you know, range of, of topics, or they're struggling with living with someone or among someone with these issues. They're really just in such a vulnerable and, and dark place. And, and so the fellowship, um, gosh, is just a very, very healing place to be one among others, you know, uh, one among others. And the program, I mean, it's it, each, so each program is based essentially on the AA program. And I'm just going to go really briefly because I, I think it's really remarkable how much our beautiful faith is embedded into this program. And I didn't see it right away, but I see it now sort of with a little bit of distance. But step one is we admitted we're powerless over food, alcohol, whatever it is, whatever our attachment, our addiction is. And I feel I hear so much about surrender and so much about offering weakness in our faith. And that's really what these programs ask. First and foremost, step one. You, admit, you wave the white flag. It's no longer about fighting and knifing, you know, using all of our strengths. It's actually leaning into, strength, leaning into a strength that is greater than us. And I would say the seeds of my faith were planted here because I was told that I just needed to believe that there was a power greater than me. And that really was that little teeny, I just had never heard of God in that context. I, I really grew up with kind of like the guy with the beard in the sky, <laughs> God concept. Um, so now to come into this place where I just really wanted to stop hurting myself. I, um, and I'll just go in for a second that I, I grew up a very sensitive child. I had, I have a very busy head and, you know, early in life, I just had a, a profound and deep hunger, profound and deep physical hunger. I I'm also six one. So I think I was busy becoming a large woman. <laughs> so some of that was valid. Um, but, Clearly, it wasn't all valid physical hunger. And so I really developed a very unhealthy relationship with food where I wanted to eat all of the things, but was also deeply programmed that um, it would be unacceptable to be anything other than a small size, which was real hard when you're um, growing up to be the size that I am now, which is I'm, I'm six one, I'm a size 13 foot. <laughs> small has never been part of my uh, description. So sort of that duality of like really having this insatiable black pit that I wanted to fill, but then also um, feeling like it's just like that was, you had to constantly fight against that to stay sort of, uh, you stay, stay in the image of, of what I was thought was expected of me as, as a girl and as a woman. And I would say that that black, that that dark pit, I've, I've tried to put a lot of things in there. Um, when I was older, I put a lot of alcohol in there. I put, you know, dysfunctional relationships with, with men and no attention in there. I put all kinds of shopping and I put my credit card right into those all. So, so I, I, I came to believe it was a God-sized hole. And in these programs, we truly bring a God-sized hole, a hole that can be filled from in no way other than with God. Um, and I think even in this quote-unquote secular program, we, we quickly learn that there's just no fit for this ache that we all have. Um, but even for people that don't, you know, really struggle with an addiction, but just I think the ache is really universal. Um, some of it, some of us might feel it a little more 
acutely um, than others. And so it, it, I, I kind of went on a tangent there, Chloe, but if it's okay, should I go up and just talk a little bit about step two? And okay. So step one is we're, we're powerless over our thing. Step two is we came to believe that there's a power greater than us. So we go right into, I can't do it. So, so steps one and two and three can be truncated into, I can't, God can. And then step three is, I think I'll let God, <laughs> right? And step three is we turned our life and our will over to the care of God, of our understanding. And again, I, I, I feel very passionate about this. You know, God really asked a little of us in this program, which I think is the answer to why so many people felt like maybe they had baggage about religion or they had baggage about who God was. But now here's God in these rooms. And I do believe God is in these church basements and he's there um, in these places that, you know, sometimes we're very bare bones, you know, and he's meeting people at their lowest. And step three, you know, in 2021, uh, at a time when we can say that, you know, people are not fond of Christianity or, or, or the language of our faith. And step three in the secular program is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, capitalized him. Um, and I, 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 when I talked about that, I thought it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's just, to me, it's unbelievable that that still remains. And I think it remains as a testament to that so many people that come in with, with really no desire or, or, or even positive feeling around a Christian faith can come and receive this beautiful message and, and, and hear it. And that was certainly the case for me. Wasn't looking for religion, wasn't looking for a Christian identity. Um, I was baptized Greek Orthodox, but really it just didn't really, it didn't really sink in. <laughs> I mean, it, it was there. I only need to be baptized once, but I, I would say I really had walked away from that and, and grew up in kind of a secular way that, that, that faith didn't have a chance to really take root. Um, so, so, so the rest of the steps do not discuss the substance again. You, you address the substance. It's real hard to, some, for some of us to, to let go of it. But the rest of the steps, 2 to 12, are about really healing, working on the heart. We address the parts of us that have caused ourselves pain. We address the hurts um, in our past with, with our relatives. We, we make amends to people we've hurt. Um, we, we, we lift our grievances against the world and then we really ask God to help us heal from them because sometimes only he can. Um, we learn to pray and meditate. We learn to do a daily inventory. Um, and, and, and lastly, we carry the message to somebody else who is suffering, which is really the, the foundation of these programs is to serve others who are suffering. Um, and that, that's why I think it works because if it was just about my healing and my recovery, I would have taken it and left (laughs) and that's it. Um, but I think because it really is about, you know, serving somebody else and knowing that everybody who walks in has to adopt that mindset to make it work. Um, anyway, that's why it's, it's really a beautiful process to watch. As you're walking through these 12 steps, I'm making all of these connections to things that I can think about in Catholicism, like the idea of a daily inventory and the day, the idea of a daily examine, the idea of evangelization and the idea that this program isn't just for you. But you know this program so much better than I do. So I would love to hear about what connections or parallels you've seen between the 12 steps and your experience with Catholicism. And yeah, I think it's absolutely beautiful to see you discover the Lord through this program and for him to make himself small and attainable through the language of the 12 step program in your life. That is incredible. It, it is. It, it, first of all, it's funny because my husband first, who was, who was, you know, raised in a devout family and then studied theology at Georgetown and like, you know, and then, and then left the church. Um, when he, when he and I met and, and he was aware of my program, he said, the 10th step, wait, that sounds just like an examine. Like, like that's, that's a thing. And I, you know, and I started to realize like, 
that much of, I, I do believe that much of the 12 steps is, is, a, is a, a stripped down, a very, very basic form of some of the tenets of Catholicism. It's really why I was drawn to the church. I mean, some people here, wait a minute, I was in this sort of, you know, non-denominational, you know, come as you are, really no hard and fast rules, although there are, are rules to keep it safe and work for everybody, but a very different set of than the theology, like of our faith. How could you go from there to Catholicism? But there are so many parallels. I mean, really, I'm, I'm still even discovering more and more as I go. Um, and the, the most basic one is sort of the universality of it, that I have been to meetings all over the world. Um, and, and I know when I go in there, there's certain things that will be the same, right? And that is, we need to count on that. Because technically, when we go to vacation, I need to go to a meeting. When you go to, when you go to vacation, technically, you try to find, try to find a mask. Um, so this idea that, you know, that when you're in recovery, you have a program and what is your program? Well, for me now, it's a couple meetings a week. I talk to a sponsor once a week. I do some reading and writing every day at the literature of the 12 steps. Although I, sometimes I'm like, gosh, I want to read other things, but that's a part of my program. Right? And that's why I kind of keep my head on straight. And I think of the Catholicism in the same way. I mean, each Catholic person addresses this differently, but I think as we tap into our sort of the hunger for God and maybe the, the stress level or sort of the how we may or may not be suffering with God, we realize that, that, that we could build a Catholic program that includes a holy hour a day, you know, reading the scriptures, every, reading the daily readings every day, attending mass once or attending mass every day, you know, routine confession, et cetera. So I think I, I've had this idea in my head for over 20 years that I have a program. And now, now my program includes many much of our, our beautiful faith and it's, it's broadened. And I think, you know, when I got to the point where I was in the 12 steps for a long time, I, I really felt Jesus leading me to more. And he really was revealing himself a little bit more plainly, um, which is why I really feel led to the church. And it's, it's a long story, but I really felt very much led here um, by a greater desire to grow with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, the parallels are crazy. I mean, in, the fourth step is that we make an inventory of ourselves. And the fifth step is that we share it with another person. And it's not confession. It's not the sacrament of reconciliation. However, for me, for a decade, I had a process of having something that was on my heart that I was either ashamed of or not pleased with or didn't know what to do with. And I had a routine of sharing it with another human being. And, and I, I really believe, Chloe, that we're, we're only as sick as our secrets um, and that secrets can be really, really deadly. And, and so we, I was in that process, right? And so when, I, when the first time I went to confession, it was really not a big deal. You know what I mean? And, and I, you know what I mean? I was like, this is, and I, I also, because when you get up from that fifth step, you feel like you've a huge weight has been lifted. I mean, the, the idea of sh like really safely sharing yourself and the parts of yourself that we're not proud of, right? The parts that we really that need healing is an unbelievable gift. And then doing it with a priest, like had an even different resonance that was even more powerful, but it, it, it still felt like old hat to me a little bit. Um, so that I would say the second reconciliation for me is the strongest tie that I, I'm so happy to lean into with our church because I feel like that is just an incredibly healing tool that, um, yeah, I, I love that piece of it. I love how when we were talking before we hit record about how 
the 12 steps are really applicable to someone who may be in the throes of an addiction or has this desire for healing in their life. But when it comes to a conversation about healing, when it comes to a conversation about the parallels between 12 steps and Catholicism, it's really for every person because, you know, we're getting ready to enter into the season of Lent where we're recording. And it's a season that the church sets aside for us to examine our lives and take an inventory of the things that are holding us back from being the women that God's created us to be. And I think it's just really beautiful to reflect on the fact that yeah, this is that healing, everyone needs healing in some areas of their lives. And it may be to different degrees and we all have different stories, but there are, we all are carrying around wounds that the Lord's desiring to heal. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, I'm very grateful. I mean, I, I, there's parts of my story clearly that are, that are unpleasant to think about. And I, you know, sometimes I think, gosh, I, I spent a lot of time in my disease and I spent a lot of time hurting myself and I spent a lot of time that I, you know, wasn't really evolving because I was busy, sort of stuck uh, in, in compulsive behaviors, et cetera. However, because it, it was a vet, it was, I got into these programs and my life was really transformed. So in some ways I'm very grateful. And I was also, I, I became, I came in contact with these incredible tools, incredible precepts. You know, I really, you know, I, this is not a knock against my parents. This is really not, I think, against my sort of the generational society that I was reared in. It really was sort of raised to believe that if you can aspire to be like thin, rich, and beautiful, and everything's going to turn out okay. Um, and those are really my aspirations. I didn't know what else heaven could possibly provide that being like really rich, really skinny, really beautiful couldn't. Um, and so the idea that now I'm, I'm coming face to face with these, um, these other aspirations of like deep and profound humility, integrity, honesty, um, service to others, like complete emptying of the self for somebody else. I mean, things like that were just really new. And I, and I was, I'm so grateful that I, I had them. And to your point that it, that it can benefit everyone. Absolutely. And I think that even if we're not rendered dysfunctional because of our addictions, which I certainly was, um, I think that we can look and say, well, are we using something? Are we drinking, eating, using something in our life, which is just stopping us um, from in, coming into contact with God, coming into contact with another person, maybe coming in contact with healing. I mean, there's just a lot of numbing and distraction in modern life. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot. It's very, very easy. And I think we're even a little bit conditioned to become become comfortable in whatever feels uncomfortable, you know. And and I, and I I don't want to. I could go on and on about that a little bit because I think the more we learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. I think we really grow, but I think, it, I, you know, I have friends that I just think, you know, they think, well, should I stop drinking? I'm like, I can't answer that for you, but I, uh, it, why don't you try and see what happens or see, see what's revealed to you in the thing that's on your heart, taking a rest from, um, and seeing what happens. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think the healing of, of just taking away sometimes our, um, our vices, which Lent certainly can offer is, it could be very revealing. I've listened to you share your story over on the Rua Storytellers podcast, which was an incredibly beautiful episode. And I love this phrase. You share that God with skin on is a term that you use in the 12-step meetings to describe people who lead and guide because of their openness about their faith, about their own journey, and how now God is asking you to do the same for others when it comes to sharing your story. I'd love to know, do you do you ever fight the temptation to be maybe ashamed of your story or keep the darker parts of your story hidden when you're sharing about your experience with the 12 steps with healing and, and where the Lord's brought healing into your life. How do you combat those lies of shame that are coming from the devil? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's it's so interesting. I, I, God made me a really open book, and I'm not really sure why. I, I you know I know a lot, I know not everybody is is built or designed to share the way I have, but and and I promise I wasn't looking for this. I I was really hoping to be like a famous interior designer when like on the pages of Art Digest. Like I really didn't think I would be doing any of the things I'm doing right now, but. I just find that it is, there's something um, very, there's something just unique that happens. Well, first of all, let me say that in the 12-step tradition, like when you're asked to share your story, you do it. Like you don't, I mean, that that's how, so that's the juice that keeps the programs going. And when I was mentioning that the format of meetings is really something you can rely on, a lot of the times it's someone giving their testimony or their story. And that is like a really big service to the room of people. Now, even though usually it's a closed meeting and not open to the public or anything like that. I, I still I still find that um, you know God is asking me to share this precious gift with, with which He gave me, and how could I possibly say no to that? You know, I mean, how could I say no, Lord? I'm too embarrassed. And when I did that talk that I referenced in for Ruwa in that in that program, it was hard, you know. And I think that it was in my backyard, basically, in my community where I'm burying myself. But I just think it. I I just think God has asked me. He's given me a tremendous gift. And as a consequence, I think just sharing it very plainly. And I think even sharing sort of the ties to the faith and how there's so much there. I, I just think that's the, the very, the least I could do for our Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how I see it. I also think like, it's, it can't be an accident, like 12 apostles, 12 steps, 12 tragedies of zero. Like, <laughs> it's gotta be, I'm sure there's like a million more 12. Um, and and, the, and one other thing, I, one other thing I would add, Chloe, is that the Catholic Church is so vast and so huge and so extensive. And at the end of my RCIA year, I was just smart enough to know the vast ocean that I don't know. Um, and you just, it just gave me an inkling of this incredible vastness. I, I don't, I honestly think we looked at three pages in the catechism, like I, just because there's so many other things to cover in the lecture and so forth. So I, I guess I. I, I'm really humbled by that. However, in the 12 steps, there, you know, there's not as much, but there's this idea that you just have to keep asking and listening and learning. If the keys to the recovery are really in showing up for that. And so when I'm sitting there and I don't really know the protocol for confession or, or, or I, you know, I'm confused about this or I'm not sure if I'm genuflecting correctly. I, yes, there's a part of me that thinks, gosh, I, I wish I knew this already. But I, I need to just ask and I need to be open and I need to be not too embarrassed to be to not know. And I'm very quick to say I'm a convert. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the rule. I don't know what feast day it is. Um, Mary was wildly new and very, very foreign to me. Um, less so today, but first in the beginning, I thought, what? Um, but but I learned something that I'm so grateful for in the 12 step rooms, which is that when you ha- when you see someone who has what you want, and I don't mean like a car. I mean, I mean like they have that that sort of the personal dignity of a lot of time away from their substance. They have a calm. They have a center. They have a just like a a presence of of health and healing. You ask them what they did, you know. And that's what they did. And sometimes you don't like the answer because they say, "Oh, I went to a meeting every day for five years," or um, "I have two sponsors," or "I gave up, uh, you know, sugar, alcohol, cigarettes." tv sometimes it's like you're like whoa but but like you but still i learned that what i needed to understand what did you do and i'm still doing that in my life and i'm asking holy women that i've met like well how much how often do you go to adoration like how wait when do you go to daily mass you know or and and starting to learn about 
and just being really humble with those answers that, and being open that there's a time when I, I couldn't imagine going to church that outside of Sunday, it just seemed impossible, you know, and, and now I, I actually see myself being a more common daily mass participant, although I'm not as much as I would like now, but you know, you understand what I'm saying, that I'm more open to these things, but only because I ask and only because I, I feel like it's, it's that humility from that program that says I, I'm building my program, you know, and I need, I need more help, not less. I love that because I think it's so tempting for us to maybe have this kind of false sense of of pride or this hesitancy to ask because that means admitting that there's a place that we don't know or that we haven't figured out yet. Um, And I think there can be a temptation to kind of fake it till you make it and not ask questions and not dive deeper. But when we don't ask those questions, how many meaningful conversations and beautiful pieces of information are we missing out on because we just don't want to admit that but we just don't know. And that's, that's okay to admit. Oh my gosh. Yes. No, the pride is there. I mean, I, I have a, I'm on a text string with these beautiful women and these wonderful, holy friends of mine. And I, I, sometimes I wanted to ask them like what the confession times were because for church, but I realized in asking that I would realize I would reveal that I clearly hadn't been there in a very long time. And I thought, how could I not ask the question? I need to go. I need this healing. I, and I really wanted to go that day. I really, I had a, something on my heart. I wanted to bring confession. And so I, I even made a joke, like I, I, I'm revealing that I clearly haven't been there in a month, but I, what are the time, you know, but I think we have to be, and I, I think Creole Catholics suffer even a little bit more from this because they have the, the imposition or the, or the pressure that they should know having been reared in the faith and so forth. But I think if, gosh, if I, it would be my hope for, for somebody, if we could just let it go and all just blame it on for whatever reason. I don't know the answer, but I want to know the answer now. And I don't know, I don't know which Marian feast is what day, and I don't know what you're supposed to do, but I want to know now because I want to participate. And I'm, and I'm frankly wasting time just feeling bad for not knowing, you know, the enunciation from the ascension, uh, you know, and those kinds of things. And I think that's, uh, um, gosh, I, I think we I think we could access our faith with a little just a, with a little more ease if if we could let that go. And I and I I come to that honestly because I have a huge ego and I want to know everything yesterday. I really do. <laughs> I think it's really beautiful too, to see how, when we're vulnerable and admit that there's something that we don't know, whether that's something life in general, something specific to Catholicism, whatever that looks like in our journey, that it encourages the women around us to be comfortable with being vulnerable too. Like if we're the one who's asking those questions, then we're giving those other women in that text thread or in conversation or in our small group permission to ask the question that they may be even holding on to because they also have this fear of not knowing or people knowing that they don't know. And, and when we are able to break that barrier in those conversations, it really can lead to some incredible conversations. I, I do agree. I, I think even maybe in that moment, somebody would say, well, might have said, oh gosh, I was wondering that too or something. And I, I think that yeah, no, that honesty has is, is really never led me astray. And I have to say, even, you know, I, I, I've been given some revealing sort of shares about my story and, I, and I've done it a couple, publicly a couple of times now. And, um, you know, there have been people who have said, you know, I've got this problem or, or my spouse does or my parent. Does, and I and I'm I'm at my last rope. And I thought, well, gosh, if that's the only reason I did it. And I have to suffer like a little embarrassment because somebody now doesn't want to hang out with me as much because I don't drink, which it does happen, but too bad. Um, you know, that, that was worth it. And, and so I, 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 the, every time I've done like that, I just said, Lord, this is in your hands. And I, and I know that I know that people need to hear messages of healing and I don't know when or who, but it's, 
it's up to you. You know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation how your life maybe doesn't look like the way that you'd expected or the way you'd planned. And you'd mentioned interior design and you have this beautiful book called Love the House You're In. And you worked with HGTV in the past. And this book is just a fantastic book about creating a home that reflects you and what you find comforting and inspiring in your life. I'd love to hear about your advice for as Catholic women, how we can make our homes places where we can grow and we can heal first as, as individuals, but then also with our families too, as we're creating this home. This is like my favorite topic of all time, second to, to recovery, but um, so thank you for those kind words. And, and the book I actually wrote as I was sort of discerning, do I want to you know, pursue RCI? You know, I was really interesting. And, and, and in my work, I had noticed that like an absence of of expressions of Christianity at like the highest levels of design media. Like you're not going to see a crucifix and a spread in most magazines, right? Maybe if you're going to do something that is like waxing nostalgic about like Southern Italy or something like, but for the most part, those spreads don't have expressions of faith and our faith. I mean, there may be other sort of expressions of faith that are are deemed cooler or something, but anyway, you get my point, but I was really noticing that. And I also started to really discern like, what is the house for and who is it for? Is this house so that I can impress the people coming over? Is this house so that I can, like, I've, I've invested my whole self and self-esteem into the house. And so now I want <clears throat> me and my house to, to be accepted or to be, you know, sort of like blessed as, as wonderful by you know, the outside world. And I, I was doing a lot of thought about that because my work, work on HGTV was very interesting. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I felt like we were losing a sense of what the house is for and who it's for. And it really is for us. And at that time, as I was discerning coming into the church, because my kids were already in Catholic school, and I already was beginning to make some friends with Catholic women and, and just really falling in love with the, with the community that I'm in right now. And I'm starting to hear this expression, the domestic church. And that is such, that is like, it's like one of those things, like I was looking for this expression before I knew it was already a thing, <laughs> which is that, you know, the, the home is more than just the furniture, the walls and the, and the paint, and a couple maybe pieces of art we find that maybe go with the couch. Like it's so much more than that. It has such a power to actually heal and educate and inspire and spur on. And, and it has, and, and I think that the domestic church and, the, and, and I gotta be honest, I, I've done very little like, like catechism reading or in-depth reading on what the church says about this, but it's really mostly been observation and, and hearing from other people talk about this idea that the domestic church is, is really when we can't be in church, which is most of the time, we want to reflect, you know, where we're going, our eyes to heaven, you know, like sort of the the concepts of our theology in the home in a beautiful way. And I also grew up with this idea that like religious objects were not that attractive or that they were, they just were like outside of maybe what the aesthetic was that you wanted. Like, and I I think my parents had some things that they were like in a drawer, you know, we had grew up Orthodox, we had a couple icons literally like behind a closet or something. But I, I really feel very strongly that you've got to keep looking to find the expressions of our faith that are beautiful and convicting to you. And then, and because of what's available to us now, which is just incredible, it really is possible. I mean, I feel like this, I mean, I would love if someone listening to this feels like they cannot find religious art or objects of the faith or expressions of the faith that suit their aesthetic, like bring it to me. Because I, we, what we have available to us now so broad and it's it is possible and again i that's why i say it's just, these are not just decorative objects but these are actually tools you know somebody said to me on instagram i think what you're talking about are um s- signals you know n- not just like you know signposts in the house but signal signaling us in our day 
and I, I just feel really strongly about that. I'm, and I, I, I'm kind of going on and on here, but I feel the house is, is much more meaningful than I give we credit. And as, and as we've spent so much money and time and, and HGTV and all these magazines, as we've hyper-focused on the house, I think we're still kind of <laughs> losing the main purpose of the house, which is for a family and for our own healing and, and as, as a family and as individuals. And I think we, we, um, we can lose that when we get really hyper-focused on some of sort of the artifice, if that makes sense. I love here. I could sit here and listen to you talk about this all day long. This is one of the main reasons that I, I mean, there's so many reasons why I love following you on social media and following along with you, but I love what you share about the home. And as you're discovering this idea of the domestic church and then bringing just your background with, yeah, home decor and what that means and finding the deeper meaning in that, that it's not just for a magazine spread, that it's for creating a place for our families to unfold. So if listeners would like to find you online to continue to learn about your story and about the work that you do as a designer, as an author, where can they find you? Well, thank you for saying that, Chloe. I, I, I'm trying to do less of the Instagram, but it's not working. So <laughs> you can find me. <laughs> Bound, boundaries are still a challenge. Um, they, there's going to be a social media Tulsa program someday. But for, before then, uh, until then, um, I could be found at, at Paige Ryan. Ryan is spelled R-I-E-N. And um, I, I like to post a lot of stories and a lot of real life just about sort of reality. And, and I, I have a hope. And, I, you know, I'm not sure if this is even possible, but I'm trying it out that I can um, have a presence that really does in, infuse like, the, the things I'm passionate about. Like it is, it can't, it doesn't have to be just about the home colors, wallpaper and furnishings. It doesn't have to be just about our beautiful and profound faith, which it could be, but for me, I, I'm not an expert on the faith, <laughs> I, 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 but I just want it to be part of the home and not just about recovery, but healing, but that really we can kind of put all three in some kind of braid. So I don't know if it's working, but I, I'm committed to it because um, I'm not willing to give up any of those three parts. Um, and I'm passionate about all three of them. And I think they all really dovetail. I mean, we really think about it. It's, it's, they can all go together really well and, and they should in our life. And, um, and when we do that, I mean, I think stuff, good stuff really happens and the house really reflects where we're going. And, and, and again, that just, this church, which I can't believe it took me so long to get into, but it did. I think you're doing a phenomenal job. I think it's incredibly integrated. Like all the things that we've been talking about on this podcast, being able to witness you speaking and reflecting on those, whether it's been an Instagram stories or in a post as you've been writing and reflecting. So no, I think you, I think you're nailing it, friend. I think you're nailing it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to take that. Take that to the bank. <laughs> thank you, Chloe. Thank you, my friend. Paige, the one question that I ask every woman who comes on the podcast, the last question that I'm going to ask you is this one. Paige, how do, you, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life as a Catholic woman who's sharing your story about healing with others? So Chloe, you totally stumped me with this because this is not, this is not, not easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I think also, be, you know, because I grew up in a generation where the feminine genius like, was I'm really late to that concept. Like I was really raised that we're supposed to like, you know, take over the world. And as a footnote, if you could squeeze in some kids uh, at some point with a family life, that would be great. But let's really get the, the world changing career off the ground first um, and never leave it. And so and so I've struggled a little bit with this, but I've been thinking about it, actually, you know, even in following you. And I know this is the question. And I think for me, it's really coming home to, you know, the gifts God gave me as a woman, which as much as I want to do outside the home, the, the reality is I, I have a gift for nurturing and caretaking, listening and connecting. Um, and the people that matter the most for that um, are my husband and my children. Um, and I do take that in the outside world, but that the gifts are for first and foremost for my family. 
And then second, there's another part, which I think is to find that feminine genius in the form that God gave me. I am a six foot tall woman with a size 13 foot, and I sometimes don't feel feminine. Uh, but I think that God defines this for each of us a little bit differently. And I find the feminine in my unfeminine. If that makes sense. I can find sort of the, the feminine power in the version that God gave me, which it doesn't always look like the other women, um, but I don't think it's meant to. And so I think honoring just the, the sort of the shape and the, and, and, and the size and the, the graces that God gives us and, and just being finding gratitude there too is part of it. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that line that you just said that it doesn't look like what other people have and I don't think it's meant to. And you, that's so true. God's given you an incredible gift, an incredible story, everything that's specific to you and the unique way that you live out the feminine genius. So thank you for coming on and sharing your story. This has been an absolute delight and a fantastic episode. Thanks so much, Paige. Oh, well, God bless you, Chloe. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Head over to letterstowomenpodcast.com and check out this week's show notes. Or if you're listening in your podcast player, just scroll down to browse through links to find Paige online and make sure you give her a follow on Instagram. You are not going to want to miss any of her reflections on healing, conversion, Catholicism, and the home. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you're an Apple user, it would be so appreciated if you left Letters to Women a quick review and let me know how I'm doing and tell other Catholic women what what you like about the show. Follow along with the podcast and hear the latest news about my book over on the new Instagram account for the podcast at letters to women underscore podcast, especially to check out Takeover Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, now through the end of May, women who contributed letters to the Letters to Women book are taking over Instagram stories to give you a peek into their lives and their experience with the feminine genius. Tomorrow is March 30th, and Jackie Anderson is taking over the stories. She's going to be talking about her relationship with Our Lady and her own season of her virgin. So if Paige's mention of how Our Lady seemed like a foreign concept to her in the beginning of her journey to the church, you're going to love what Jackie's sharing over on Instagram tomorrow. You can get a copy of the new Letters to Women book, which is a collection of 30 letters to inspire and encourage you in your own journey to discovering the feminine genius through tan books or on Amazon. And all the links for those are in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for joining me. I absolutely love getting to share conversations like this with you. And until next time, be not afraid.